I told them folks? I said, you all can go to hell. I'm going to Texas. Here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. Coming to you from the Republic of Texas on this Friday, October 16, 2020. It's your humble host, Captain Middle America himself, Rick Bear, bringing you the news of the day and that nasty little narrative that'll follow. You can join me at any time, 844 527 8723, or you can jump in that Crusader Stadium. At crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. C-H-A-T, username, password, email. And you are good to go. So check it out. Crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. This segment of the program is brought to you by the amazing books you can get at the Founders Trading Post at mikechurch.com forward slash shop. S-H-O-P. You can choose between... Books by Mike Church, like His Dave is a Traitor, Humility of Heart, to the Joseph Pierce Collection, to books by authors like Dr. Kerry Grass and more. So check it out at crusadechannel.com forward, I'm sorry, mikechurch.com forward slash shop, mikechurch.com forward slash shop, S-H-O-P. Get a book today because TV is stupid. Speaking of TV, nice. this is what we call Segway. Speaking of TV, I guess I was, uh, I, I am not as smart as uh, El Presidente. Because I'm on here screaming, why is he going into these places? Why are you going on MSNBC? Why do you do these town halls? It's not going to work for you, President Trump. They're going to get you. No, Rick, it's okay. I got it. I got this. He does. At least last night. Here's the crazy thing. I actually thought that the questions brought up by the people in the crowd were not hostile. They were not hostile questions. They were not uh, blue-haired, wacko feminists. They're not any of the, they were just, eh, what about the economy? What I mean, they were stupid questions, right? Because any town hall questions are done. And some of them seemed a bit partisan. Except the lady who was like, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, but you have a wonderful smile. <laughs> that was, uh, that was quite enjoyable. Um... But the questions were fine. By the way, I'll get this out of the way to begin with. Whoever, because Tom Nichols is an idiot. He blocked me, so I don't care. That guy is a raging lunatic because a brown woman was nodding her head in approval of all of Trump's things, which, by the way, you know, she was the MVP last night. Because a brown woman had the audacity to nod her head and hold the thumbs up While President Trump was speaking, Tom Nichols could not, his tiny expert brain, flames coming out of the side of his, flames out of the side of his face, out of his face, had to dox this poor girl. 
poor woman. That tells you how much of a bubble the never Trumpers and the, the DNC establishment is. They don't understand how the racist that is Trump has brown women and brown men and not just the white supremacists support Trump like Trump. And they, and I guess they thought they had when they called her out of the bullpen screeching Savannah Guthrie doing her best hocus pocus impression descended from her broomstick into Miami. And, and, you know, they trotted out Savannah because I was talking to Mike a couple minutes ago. She has the soccer mom gig. Oh, I'm just a regular. I'm just a mom. I'm just, a, you know, I'm very relatable. She didn't look relatable last night. Of course, Twitter was impressed with Savannah. But if you win Twitter, you lose life. Because Twitter is 2% of the population. Now, yes. Some of you are saying, if you listened to my show yesterday, but you said it's so important. I'm talking about news distribution. As far as in relatability to the rest of Americana, Twitter is a losing cause. I.e., every time a movie or an actor or the NBA try to appeal to Twitter, what happens? They get woke and go broke. So Savannah Guthrie torched all kinds of credibility which I, none of them have but at least they felt she had some kind of credibility as just you know what she was I'll tell you who she was you know who she was the legacy media thought they would trot out a white suburban mom to fight the evil Trump Right? Because that's Savannah's target demographic. The white suburban mom who has it on in the background while she's trying to get her kids to school. And that's who her relatable audience is. So they trotted her out and she went from white suburban mom to ex-jilted lover. Screaming. Screaming at Trump. Interrupting Trump. We get on the other side of the uh, this break. I have a, a minute and a half supercut of all the times that she interrupted him. And like I said, the questions, if it was actually the questions from the audience, it was fine. His rapport with the audience, once again, doesn't matter if they like him or not. The president, President Trump, is great with people, whether he, he you like him or hate him. He did not treat the people that were supposedly voting for Biden any different than the ones that were going to vote for him. He, could you imagine if they did that in the ABC town hall, which, by the way, nobody watched? This is a voter, uh, Vice President Biden, who's going to vote for Trump. Ah, you dog-faced pony, get out of here. Get out of here. Don't vote for me. Vote for the other guy. I hate you. I hate you. No, it would have been completely different. And apparently the one, the nodding lady at the Trump town hall is an ex beauty queen. Cause you know, Trump loves that. All the beautiful women. They love me. What can I say? And I, I, I used to, but then I have my beautiful first lady, Melania, 
But all the beautiful women, they love Trump. That's what you should have a beautiful ladies for Trump sticker. That thing would sell out like hotcakes, which I don't know why it's hotcakes, but that's just the saying. But he comes across, no matter who it is, as, okay, great question, thank you, very personable. That's what, you know, Mike and I have been trying to hammer home. Oh, he's a billionaire that's not really gold toilets. Yeah, all that aside, when you sit down with him, it's very relatable between the two. You and him. Not Joe. Joe can't do that. Well, Joe can't do a lot of things, but that's okay. But that's why he goes into these things. He exposed Savannah Guthrie for the hack that she is. For the hack that she absolutely is. And like I keep saying, Twitter, oh, Savannah Guthrie is the hero. She's the blah, blah, blah. Who cares? And anybody that tells you that Biden uh, defeated Trump, I guess, in ratings or more people watched it, eh, they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong in this regard. The numbers were added up. Trump across all of them, at least streaming wise, across all venues, Trump had 4.5 million people who watched his his town hall. Biden had 2.8. I didn't even bother to watch the Joe Biden one. I did not even bother to watch it because I didn't watch the patty cake that would be uh, played between um, George Stephanopoulos on his high chair playing patty cake with Joe Biden. There's no reason I would uh, I, w- I would watch that. So I didn't. I just watched the the Trump one. And despite the enormous pressure that all these famous celebrities supposedly tried to put on MPC to change it, it was absolutely fantastic. And it looks like some numbers coming out. Savannah Guthrie asked 43 questions of President Trump. Do you know how many that the quote unquote town hall asked of President Trump during that hour? 10. 10 questions from the audience during the town hall, quote unquote. As somebody probably just introduced Savannah Guthrie to Red Bull and tossed her out there. But I'll tell you, you were not going to get this, Justin. I'm going to I know I have like five clips loaded up, but let's see if we can play this one right now. I'm sending it to you via twi- via Twitter. Because I just caught it on my feet at Barrett Brief, B-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-R-I-E-F, if you can. Um, You're not going to get this exchange. You got it? You're not going to get this exchange at a Biden press event. This right here, this is supposedly a woman who was going to vote for Joe Biden. Listen, her name's Pauline Dale. She's a Democrat. She's going to vote for Biden. This is the first thing she says to President Trump, a man that supposedly every Democrat hates Listen to her. Hey, you have a great smile. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, he does. You're so handsome when you smile. As the daughter of immigrants to the United States who fled Eastern Europe due to religious persecution. Yes. She told him that he had a great smile. Right? 
That's his personality. Even those, oh, orange man, bad. He's so terrible. Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't happen when you get around him. And that is an X factor. That is an X factor Biden can't replace. He couldn't do it when he, w when he had his entire A game. Because he's a mean man. He doesn't like people. He feels, Joe Biden thinks you and I are plebs. Now, I'm not saying that Trump is some kind of, I mean, he at least respects in all of his interactions and from people that have worked for him that I've talked to out in Vegas, he at least seems to respect average American people. And it comes across in situations like that. Could you ever imagine, because apparently we're supposed to be led to believe that everybody that's voting Democrat hates him. And a lot of them are just doing it because they vote Democrat. Anyway, we're gonna deep, we're gonna go a little bit more. We're gonna spend the next segment on this topic. I'm gonna give you the the supercut where Savannah interrupts him, and then we'll get you some feedback from some pollsters. And uh, Trump did not get beat up. He came with some heat as well. Daniel Savakis joins us top of the second hour. Ted Harvey joins us top of the third hour. We got a loaded show for you on this Friday. You're listening to the Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. The Crusade Channel would like to thank the coronavirus for its outstanding public service. It strapped a permanent muzzle across Joy Behar's mouth. Welcome back to the Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. Come to you from the Republic of Texas on this Friday, October 16, 2020. It is your humble host, Captain Middle America himself, Rick Bear, bringing you the news of the day and the narrative that'll follow. 844-527-8723, crusadechannel.com forward slash chat, C-H-A-T, username, password, email, and you are good to go. All right, we're going to get back into um, screeching Savannah Guthrie versus Teflon Don last night. But first, we got some breaking news. Senator Ted Cruz announces Judiciary Committee will subpoena Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey to testify after second day of Twitter blocking New York Post Hunter Biden report. There you go, folks. We have... Um, we have it actually happening. We're going to cover that in probably the, the bottom of the second hour. We're going to talk about this whole thing with Twitter and how uh, the the damage has been done. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll see some kind of movement towards more regulation on there. I'm going to talk to Daniel Savakis about this. Because um, I know he's a free marketer. Kind of guy, like leave it alone. Don't put some, don't put regulations on there. I've been that way for a while, but at this point, you can't, you you can't let this continue, because the arguments of well, wait until president whoever shows up doesn't matter at this point. By then, it'll be too late. You're definitely getting president whoever if you don't put some clamps down on this. 
All right, this segment of the program is brought to you by Coffee, delicious coffee to get you through this Friday to the weekend. Go to MikeChurch.com forward slash shop, S-H-O-P, and choose between delicious Crusade Capuchin Dark Rose Coffee or delicious Abbey Rose Coffee from the Benedictine Monks of Our Lady of Guadalupe Monastery in Silver City, New Mexico. Either way, you're going to be delish, delishing, dr- maybe I need some, drinking delicious coffee as well as well as supporting small independent ventures. So please, don't go to big conglomerates. They don't need your money. We would like your money at MikeChurch.com forward slash shop S-H-O-P. All right, let's get back into screeching Savannah Guthrie, who was no match. The suburban housewife was no match for Teflon Don last night. Even though she uh, she was able to get 43 questions in on the president and she got some zingers, right? She got some zingers in on him, which doesn't really mean much. Um, and of course, legacy media and um, Twitter love what she did. Oh, she's so brave. She's so stunning. Look at her. Take it to the bad orange man. She was the embodiment of all the angry housewives that existed out there all the ones that just wanted to get you know i just i would just totally take trump out if i could just talk to him you know the angry ones out there the angry suburban soccer moms that are supposedly going to crush trump in this election but let's listen to her tone it's easy for me to say it we don't have all 43 times But we have a good amount, about a minute and 30 seconds, of her interrupting him, even when he's having exchanges with the supposed more important people in the conversation, the voters. The voter would ask a question, Trump would start to respond, and she would just dart in there and try to get him on stuff. So let's take a listen to this super cut of of the examples of Savannah, screeching Savannah Guthrie, Coming in to try and take out Teflon Don here on the Bear Brief on the Crusade Channel. As the president, I have to be out there. I also know well, there's no one that says you can't be out there, but it's just about wearing masks and having, for example, your well, rallies. I know this tremendous spikes. But our death rate is worse than, well, not Spain, but those well, other I have, countries. I have the United States is down 21 percent. But we have per, our deaths per capita is among the highest. I wouldn't be able to get the word out. And the word, well, the word is, is false. and you know, it's dumped in a garbage can and they happen to have my name on it. I'm not happy okay, about that. But just those are cases. There is no there is, in fact, no evidence of widespread fraud. I want the money go to directly Are to Senate the Republicans people. with you. They're going to go big. They'll go. Big yeah, old they'll, number. Go. they'll go. They're going to be okay, very so happy. far. They have not. Ah, you got rid of the individual mandate. But that the, went the through problem the legislature. repeal and replace. Look, we will always protect people with pre-existing but conditions. If you successfully in, in November, those pre-existing conditions, that promise will be gone. If it's a tiny percentage of my net worth. That's not And you'll see that. It turned out that I am underwater. They actually Excuse me. No, no. But you The IRS says that doesn't stop but you from releasing. You saw what they did with the religious But to be clear, there is no law or rule that, that prohibits you from releasing your tax no, returns. I know she's going to make a great decision for our country. The you running as a pro-life Republican. Republican. Most pro-life Republicans would like to see Roe v. Wade overturned and abortion banned. Okay, thank you very Mr. much. Mr. President, in point of fact, the DACA program, there are, under your administration, no new applicants are allowed. Constant. Constant. 
constant to the fact where it was like, oh, so I'm glad candidate Guthrie is getting in on these questions. Very unprofessional. Uh, almost too aggressive, which is weird because Savannah Guthrie had this this reputation of kind of being a pushover, kind of be just letting things, you know, uh, of course, he was talking to Joe Biden. She would give him the softball questions and let them roll. But this one, it was just very aggressive, very Karen-esque, if you will. To the point where, yes, thank you, Justin. Justin makes the best point. In the biography of of Savannah's life, she will be played by the one and only greatest actress of our times, Brie Larson. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Brie Larson will be playing Savannah Guthrie in the uh, biopic pick. (laughs) Just Keep Talking, I guess, is the working title for it. But uh, that's that's what people are saying is the, you know, she dominated him. She kept the conversation quick and he was sweating. That's because they were outside Miami. It's hot and he's in a suit. I would have been sweating too, but I sweat walking up the stairs. That's not really that much. But but the way she was completely different. Her her tone is very meek with her questions. And, and this was a 180 degree difference. Most likely because they said, we want you to go out there and be the embodiment of how, of, of all the angry women, of angry women everywhere. We want you to go after Trump and we want you to take him out. Of course, even though Trump talked about walking into a setup, he said, I'm walking into a setup. He said it at the, um, at the rally in Greenville. He wasn't, he, he did not come off meek. Of course, you won't get these clips anywhere on the bar, uh, anywhere else except on the Barrett Brief. Uh, we have this one from townhall.com where Trump has no problem pushing back because Savannah Guthrie, once again, has to ask about white supremacy because Trump hasn't, Trump was on his deathbed supposedly with COVID and he still was denouncing white supremacy. Still not good enough. Still not good enough for good old Savannah. And here she comes once again. But Trump's kind of done with this nonsense. Let's take a listen. This is from townhall.com. We're not doing that, so let's clear up a few things from the last one. You were asked point blank to denounce white supremacy. In the moment, you didn't. You asked some follow-up questions. Who specifically? A couple of days later, on a different show, oh, yeah, you, you denounced white supremacy. No, you My question to you is, You've done this to why me does and everybody, it seem like... I denounced white supremacy, okay? You did I've two denounced days later. white supremacy for years, but you always do it. You always start off with a well, question. You didn't ask Joe Biden whether or not he denounces Antifa. I watched him on the same basic show with Lester Holt. And he was asking questions like Biden was a child. Well, well so th- this so is a little bit ready? of a dodge. Are you, wait, are you listening? I denounce white supremacy. Okay. What's your next question? Do you feel, it feels sometimes you're hesitant to do so. Like you hesitant. wait a Here piece. we go again. Every time, in fact, my people came. I'm sure they'll ask you the white supremacy question. I denounce white supremacy. And frankly, you want to know something? I denounce Antifa and I denounce these people on the left that are burning down our cities that are run by Democrats who don't know what they're doing. See, he was ready for it this time, at least um, in regards to watching out for the question, right? The question, they were trying to catch him. 
in another situation from the from when Chris Wallace got him to say something stupid. And this time, what are you, dumb? You don't listen? I've been denouncing it for 45 years. I came out of the womb, and I said I denounced white supremacy. I've been denouncing it since before you were even born, Savannah. But you're so cute with your little question. You came here. My people, my people came to me. They said they're going to ask you. And I say again, I denounce. Absolutely no problem pushing back with... uh, In fact, it actually makes her look worse because not only... Does he denounce it? He brings it up again. And then, of course, he contrasts it with the fact that when Lester Holt had a town hall, didn't ask him about Antifa. Um, And I'm sure I didn't watch it. But last night with ABC, I'm sure they didn't ask him about it. But also, what were they trying to do between the, the minute and a half clip with Savannah interrupting? They were trying to get Trump to do what? Blow up. Trying to get under his skin. He sat in the chair. He was not... Was he annoyed? Yes. But being visibly annoyed with the same question you've been do- you've been asked for five years. Yeah, you'd be annoyed with it too. But he answered the questions. He answered all the questions that were brought up to him. And in fact, he actually looked like at one point that he wanted to get back to actual voter questions. Because at least those had some bearing on the actual election and not, do you denounce QAnon? Do you denounce white supremacy? Why do you retweet things? Random stupid questions. There was an exchange where he's like, I just retweet things. Which, by the way, by the way, we've reached peak 2020. Because I don't know if you caught it, but President Trump actually quote tweeted the Babylon Bee as fact. That was pretty intense. Anyway, so the end of the night... Uh, Frank Lutz from, um, was on CB, CNBC and he had a focus group that was watching both the, both town halls. And I think it's pretty interesting. The, uh, the response that came out, let's take a listen to, uh, to, to Frank Lutz on CNBC talking about his focus group's reaction to both town halls here in the Barrett Brief on the Crusade channel. I asked my focus group participants who they thought better handled the interview, who they thought was a better moderator and host. And by 14 to 2, they chose George Stephanopoulos. They felt that the way that Savannah Guthrie handled Donald Trump brought out the worst in him, but that she shouldn't have done it. This was billed as a town hall. With about 20 minutes into it, I took a photograph of the screen and it says NBC town hall, not a single Average voter had asked a question in the first 20 minutes. That's hardly hardly a town hall. They thought that Stephanopoulos let Biden get away with a little bit too much, but they appreciated that he let the former vice president respond. They gave him time and he didn't interrupt. She was all over Trump and they didn't do that at all. There you go. And if if his focus group thought that, which we know is probably not going to be tilted towards Trump, most people on Twitter, outside of your feminazis and the legacy media who are uh, just absolutely role-playing through Savannah, like, yeah, I would have asked that question, too. Yeah, Savannah, get him. Pew, pew. Rah, rah, rah. Like, they're all, you know, you know, Chris Chris Hayes is in his house and dancing around in, in joy that Savannah's asking him questions about QAnon. 
The average voter is like, why won't you let Trump talk to voters? Right? Because guess what? They don't like the way Trump interacts with the voter. Even the ones that supposedly don't like him and are not going to vote for him. Uh, this is a voter who's going to vote for Trump. How are you? Good. That's a great question. Then he would answer the question. He was very, he was very Donald Trump in this moment. He was very good, as he always is, with people. So Screech and Savannah had to come in like havoc from the X-Men and tried to, you know, just screech. Screech. What about this? What about that? All right, mom. All right, with the questions here. And it really does contrast this group of people, I'll keep saying it, the the mythical women, suburban white women that was supposedly in the form of one screeching Savannah Guthrie, just yelling at him. And I I wish I could have found one. There was a couple times when she was arguing with him about Roe and all these other things. He's like, Savannah, Savannah, I just wish we were, we can be on the same side. We can be on this. Why do we have to fight? Why do we have to argue? And I thought that was sneaky good. That was absolutely sneaky good. Why? Why is that, Rick? I know you're asking me this question when you're listening to the Bear Brief. Here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. Because it puts Trump on the side of the audience. It now positions Trump and the audience versus Guthrie. And that's where she lost. Because he's, because, you know, most people don't like conflict. Most people would like to see agreeable, even if people disagree, they don't want to get it to a screeching point. That's right. Justin sends me a message. I guess Savannah just graduated from the Hillary Clinton school of how to be unlikable. Of unlikable media personality. But nobody wants to see that. Outside of places like Twitter, which breed animosity. Oh, Savannah Guthrie's owning Trump. He came back every time. She was coming at him about statistics, and he's like, no. And he was quoting statistics, and he was he was never rude. He did say you were cute one. He's like, you're so cute with a question. But at that point, I, I gave him a pass on that because he was just so annoyed with how stupid these questions were. But it's not a good look. He put himself on the same side with the audience. He aligned the audience. He's like, I just want to answer these questions. I just want to be on the same side. We can come to an agreement. We can come to, we can talk about this while she's screeching. And trying to start the the fire to, you know, burn them. She's trying, she's setting up the stake in the middle of the, uh, the quote unquote town hall. Trying to burn them alive. And he's like, hey, I just want to talk. And so, that's why he did it. That's why he went on there. And I, I said, I don't know why he does it. But that's why. Because he exposed Savannah Guthrie. As a hack, as somebody whose whole thing, her whole shtick, as I've been saying this whole show, is that she's supposed to be the likable suburban soccer mom. Right? That She was supposed to be the likable suburban soccer mom. That's her whole deal. 
And Trump just absolutely treated her with kid gloves and and allowed her to screech. Didn't try, didn't do what he did in the first debate. He didn't try to overpower her, right? Right? Where um, he tried to, he, because we knew that Joe Biden is a bully. And how do you beat a bully? You punch him in the mouth. I really think the people at NBC are that stupid that they thought he was going to do the same thing to Savannah Guthrie. Right? That he was going to do the same thing to her. That he was just going to yell and scream and say all kinds of, Nat, you're a nasty woman, and all these other things. No. He was very... Maybe he was like, hey, Mike, how do you do that? Right? Mike Pence? No, he was very easy. He didn't get frustrated visibly. He may have he, he shot some stuff across the bow, which as a person who does that as well, when I get frustrated, a little snarky comment here and there. But overall, he let her drown herself, right? He let her drown herself. I, we didn't have the clip, but there was a pro-life millennial, and I'm taking this example from the Federalist.com's Jordan Davidson. There was a pro-life millennial who asked Trump about protections for mothers with high-risk pregnancies if Roe was overturned. Instead of accepting the answer that Trump gave, Screeching Savannah chose to press him on Roe. Right? Which was not the question, but she was trying to get him to say stuff. She was injecting herself. She was making herself the topic of the conversation. It was not the Donald Trump, President Trump town hall. It was the Savannah Guthrie town hall featuring Donald Trump. And so the the way she kept hijacking, the way she kept trying to pull President Trump's answers. And then here it is. Yeah, Jordan actually writes this down. At one point, Trump goes, Savannah, Savannah, we're on the same side. And that I thought that was sneaky huge because that makes him. It totally changes the view of people who thought Trump was out of control at the Biden debate, right? You have Trump at the Biden debate who was, you know, un- unhinged and all these other things. And what is he now at this one? He is the one who's calm, saying, Savannah, we're on the same side. We're on the same side. Relax. Huge. Huge. Huge, actually. It's huge. And I think it's very impactful. And I think it was a very smart strategy by President Trump. No matter what she says, what she does, just remain calm. Be, be a gentleman as much as possible. And you can change the playing field as far as how people view what he was doing. More people watched him than watched Biden. So not only did Biden lose ratings-wise, but there's got to be a share of people who thought Trump was a bully to Biden. It's different when he was treating a woman with respect, even though she wasn't treating him with one. All right, Daniel Savekas on the other side of the program, and then we'll talk Twitter. You're listening to The Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel, last live radio station standing.
Welcome back to the Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. Coming to you from the Republic of Texas on this October 16, 2020. It is your humble host, Captain Middle America himself, Rick Bear, bringing you the news of the day. And that narrative that'll follow, 844-527-8723, crusadechannel.com forward slash chat, C-H-A-T. This segment of the program is brought to you by Foundations Restored, a Catholic perspective on creation, crusadechannel.com forward slash Adam. Watch the first two episodes for free, crusadechannel.com forward slash Adam. Watch the first two episodes of Foundations Restored, a Catholic perspective on creation at crusadechannel.com forward slash Adam A.D. A.M. You heard the Rocky music, so that can only mean one thing. The one, the only, Daniel Savickas of Freedom Works joins us here on the Bear Brief on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. Uh, I have to publicly apologize to Dan because last week we were up in New Hampshire at the St. Benedict Center, and despite the fact that my producer asked me not once, not twice, but three times if I had made sure Dan knew that we were not going to be on next week, I still did not do that. So, Dan, welcome to the show, and I publicly apologize for uh, wasting your time last week as you <laughs> sent me a message. Like, Why can't I get through? And I'm going, oh, no, I, I completely <laughs> messed that up. But it's good to talk to you again, my friend. Yeah, no worries at all. It's good to be back, and <laughs> certainly plenty has happened in the last two weeks that we can cover. I, I'm probably even going to forget stuff. So if you remember something, feel free to throw it into the conversation at any point because way too much stuff has happened uh, in our previous time that we have spoken. Let's just get into the first thing. We are going to talk about your blog post at uh, Freedom Works about the Trump appointee of the week. I do want to talk about the EPA administrator, Andrew Wheeler. But you and I have gone back and forth on this topic that broke yesterday or two days ago and it's continued into today. And that's Twitter sense Twitter and Facebook actively censoring uh, at this point a, a news outlet. And once again, Section 230 has come up. President Trump mentioned it at a rally. A couple senators are mentioning that it needs to be revoked. So it looks like Jack's gonna actually be subpoenaed to come up to Congress next week. Uh, what are your thoughts on what happened in the New York Post? And what should be the plan going forward? To, to address both the the uh, information centers that are Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, like you mentioned, you know, in the past, I've been a big defender of big tech and very cautious of government getting involved in this. And at this point, I don't know if I've used this metaphor on the show before, it kind of feels like Twitter and Jack Dorsey are just strolling down the railroad tracks when they don't see the big plume of smoke over the horizon. Either that or they're very drunk and they think they can fight the train when it eventually comes over the hill. That's, that's basically where we're at with Twitter right now. They're, just, they're basically trying to push the envelope as far as they can to see what people are willing to put up with. And they're starting to lose allies. And uh, I, don't, I certainly don't endorse or like what they did with the Washington Post. I think, uh, one, you could... A lot of people have made this argument you could even consider it an in-kind contribution to the Biden campaign. And I think Twitter has the right to censor this, but the problem is that it's not done consistently. Like they, they will still let the Steele dossier be published. They'll still let 
all of these discredited Russiagate conspiracy theories be published. Trump's taxes uh, last just recently. Trump's taxes. Yeah, exactly. So that led all of these things. I don't think that Twitter has a consistent standard, and that's what opens them up to accusations that they're a publisher, not a platform. And basically, they're asking for something to happen at this point. And I know lawmakers are now looking into it more more strictly, and the FCC is even getting involved to clarify uh, what Section 230 means. Yeah, I saw Aji Pai put a tweet out last, uh, either last night or the night before saying he's going to go forward and clarify what Section 230 means. Um, and it really is the, the fact that if they played it down the middle, just like with Hollywood or anything else, if they just played it down the middle, nobody would care. But they're going to, Jack's going to come out and Twitter's going to come out and hide behind their hacked. They don't, they don't like spreading information from hacked sources be be uh, disseminated or used on their platform and everything like you said i know the federalist did a great article where they outlined 11 different scenarios things that i even forgot that were hacked or leaked or or whatever the the definition is that twitter was just like yep that's fine we'll we'll make sure that gets trending and and re reposted and and allowed to but to the point where they were censoring the press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, and they were censoring other uh, people as well. The House Judiciary Committee, I believe, it was one of the House Twitter accounts that got blocked for this. They're, like you said, they're outright, almost tempting, taunting uh, the government to do something. And like it, it looks like they're not going to they're not going to really enjoy what happens on the other side. And I don't think people understand when the hammer does come down. And if Trump wins a re-election, it will come down. Uh, how different these platforms will look post uh, post Section Two Thirty reform? Yeah, that's also the thing. I don't understand why tech companies, uh, besides I guess personal bias, are waging this fight because the hammer will come down, and they've they've gotten a lot of goodwill from free market people like myself who've been wary of letting the government mess with their business model. And they just seem to keep pressing buttons to see how far they can go and losing allies along the way. And they're ultimately either enticing Republicans to come after them or setting the stage for a Democrat takeover. And a number of Democrat politicians have said that they actively want to break up these companies. So I really don't know what they're doing from either perspective. It seems like they're really just begging someone to come hurt them, and I can't even have imagined them doing something more destructive than what they did to the Washington Post, uh, New York Post, rather. Agreed. You're listening to Dana Savakis from Freedom Works here on the Barrett Brief on the Crusade channel. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Warren and and uh, Alexandria Casio cortez have been two very outspoken Democrats talking about the power Facebook and Twitter have. So it's not like they could they could even look to say, oh, well, if Joe gets in, then we're going to be fine and we're going to be allowed to continue what we're doing because both sides don't like either, either one of these companies because everybody feels that they're spreading disinformation, quote-unquote. So no matter who it is, they're, they're going to be on the losing end. So it, it makes no sense for them to step out 
as clearly as they did this week. And the fact that I was to, when I was examining it, when you're banning Alex Jones, Miley Yiannopoulos, Owen Benjamin, individuals, it's easy to say there's no bias. They're spreading conspiracy and hate, and you can hide behind all the buzzwords. But when you go after, and the news department at the New York Post, there's a lot of stuff on the Post that's kind of crazy. But the New York Post news department is legitimate. They broke legitimate stories. They authenticated the Biden emails before they published it. So when you go after a legitimate news source and say, nah, that stuff's not real. It's not, it's, it's made up. It's damaging. It's misinformation. That's really where the, the problem comes because social media has existed because the legacy media uses it, right? That's one of the main reasons Twitter is, is even a mention in the culture is because reporters use it to talk to each other and break stories. That's it. So the fact that, they, this tenuous relationship that Twitter would break that by going after a publication instead of individuals. You'd ban individuals. They don't have any power. You can use all the buzzwords. You go after an organization. They got lawyers. They got influence. They have allies. That is the main issue here between individuals and an actual publication. Yeah, and they're working cross purposes, too. Because if you really want to dispel what you believe to be conspiracy theories, the best thing to do is let them go out there in the open with it and just get absolutely taken down by everyone on Twitter, not taken down, like rhetorically taken down. Yeah, ratio. Ratioed back to the Stone Age. Yeah, ratioed back to the Stone Age, hit with facts and logic, and these conspiracy theories will be disproved for what they are. But if you take them down... That means, one, you can't really form a coherent counter-argument, and people will become more convinced that these conspiracy theories are right because they're being shut up by the powers that be. So I think in the end, this is going to be worse for Twitter because people are going to retreat to places like Parler or Reddit or wherever else, and they're going to be convinced because nobody's going to be there to criticize them. So I think Twitter is hurting itself in so many more ways than one, and I think they're hurting dialogue in the U.S. as well. Agreed. Agreed. So, um, okay, so that's good. I'm glad we were able to cover that. Did you watch either one of the town halls last night? I did not. I I caught some highlights, but I figured as long as it's not a real debate, I I won't subject myself to, to the clown show until they both get on the same stage again next week. Excellent, excellent response, because I, it was a waste of time either way. Uh, but uh, we have we talked since Trump got COVID? I don't know if we did or I not. Think we, I think there might have been a question. Yeah. Some, uh, it, it's, it's tough. I think either way, the last time we talked. Let's let's recap. What is how do you uh, how do you assess President Trump's handling of getting COVID and post COVID? Has that had any kind of, do you think it has any kind of impact on how the general population looks at this as people like Fauci are coming out and saying, yep, looks like you're going to have to cancel Thanksgiving and Halloween and Christmas. And now you've got Trump who's out on the campaign trail post COVID saying, well, you don't really need him. I got it. I survived. We have therapeutics. How does this, um, how does this change people who have been 
more just more anti-mask mandate. I don't think anybody ever cared. If you want to wear a mask, if you feel sick, that's fine. You go do that. But this idea of mask mandates and lockdowns in these states that are, are really pushing forward compared to somebody like Trump, who's like, I got it. We have ways to get around it. And I think that we shouldn't be scared of it anymore. Yeah. Uh, the left has been going on for a long time about how Trump is out of shape, he's old, he's overweight, he doesn't talk properly, and they've been pushing these wild theories about his health. And then he gets coronavirus, seeming to fit into all of the pre-existing conditions that would make COVID really bad. And within a couple weeks, back out there on the campaign trail, more or less the same as he always was. And I think that should show how absurd that these ridiculous lockdowns have become. You see, in Europe, they're getting hammered by coronavirus harder than the United States, and they're locked down a lot more strictly than a lot of states are. Obviously, some exceptions with D.C., New York, California. But on the general whole, Europe is locked down way harder than the United States, and they're getting hammered. Donald Trump is is an old man. Uh, he, He may not look it or sound it sometimes, but he is in his 70s. He got coronavirus, and he came out the other side, brand spanking new. And, and it gets down to this point, who or what are we trying to protect, and what are we willing to lose in the meantime? As Fauci says, you can't have Thanksgiving. Like, at what cost? How many people are going to have to succumb to depression, drug overdoses, and everything that comes along with these lockdowns because we're trying to save point oh oh whatever percent actually succumb to this virus and they're honestly knocking on death's door in the first place agreed you're listening to daniel savegas from freedom works here on the bear brief i do know one thing we didn't talk about your assessment of the vice presidential debate between kamala and mike pence yeah uh i thought honestly kamala harris didn't really want to make any policy arguments she didn't want to talk about their position on court packing She didn't want to talk about their position on the Green New Deal, didn't want to talk about their position on fracking. And she used this line a number of times. She said, oh, Joe and I will be willing to have that conversation about Green New Deal or about fracking or about core padding. You're willing to have that conversation. How about right now during a nationally televised vice presidential debate? with the sitting vice president is now a good time to have that conversation a few weeks out from the election. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris don't believe anything. And it's really sad. And she would rather just sit there with that smile and say, I'm speaking as if she's going to have some sort of like, yes, queen moment on Twitter, (laughs) but you're not, you're not going to turn Mike Pence into Donald Trump. Mike Pence is one of the most easygoing, genteel politicians you'll ever find. He's not going to disrespect anybody or try and plow anybody over. So the fact that you're trying to turn him into a debate stage bully kind of just makes you look out of place, especially when all he's asking you to do is tell the truth. Yeah, I was uh, I was trying to explain to people in the lead up because they were trying to build up Kamala. Oh, she's a prosecutor in AG. She's this, that, and this. My simple response, people laughed before the debate, but after the debate, they agreed with me. Said, white bread's not going to let you down. And they they kind of looked at me. So I'm like, Pence, and this is no disrespect to him, he's white bread. It's mm-hmm. He's consistent. He's not going to be flashy. He's going to give you what you need. And he's going to just be even keeled the whole time. And that was something 
I guess they nobody had seen Pence debate, despite the fact he has decades of experience in politics and was a governor of a state that he would not get rattled by the, you know, Mr. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking like that was supposed to throw him off his game. Uh, my wife, who had never seen Pence debate before before, was absolutely uh, thrilled at the way he handled himself and just continued to be respectful, continued his tone was never he never got above a certain octave and he and and any future politician should watch a Pence debate to see how sneaky good you can be at being nice to the moderator while you run them over. When she was like, okay, you got 30 seconds. He's like, thank you. And he'd just keep going. <laughs> and she would say, okay, time to stop. And he would go, yeah, okay, thank you. And he would just continue to to just plow through and get his points. And I think the fact that after the first debate and how everybody was like, our politics are broken, the to have him come up there and be a nice, steady contrast to President Trump and Biden and Harris really did work in in the Trump campaign's favor. And that's what you're going to get out of vice presidential debates, really, is something like that. He wasn't going to get run over by Kamala. And Kamala was exposed as actually having to debate somebody for the first time outside of California. She's just not good. When you're not in the protective cocoon of California, she's actually pretty terrible. I do yeah, want to get this in. All right, go. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say real quickly, you saw even in the primary debates, it took Tulsi Gabbard, who was polling at 2%, <laughs> Only a couple of minutes to just absolutely curb stomp her campaign into the ground with a, a remark about her history as a prosecutor and come on, just couldn't answer. She's not a sharp debater by any stretch of the imagination. No, she's really not. Uh, she had she had her pre-plan attacks in the primary at Biden. And after the pre-planned first debate, she just didn't know how to handle anything. And you're right. Somewhere during the vice presidential campaign. Uh, Tulsi was sipping a Mai Tai somewhere in Hawaii and just <laughs> like, yep, that's how you do it. And uh, and it was pretty impressive. Now, let's get to it. We've talked about everything else. We've caught up here uh, with Daniel Savakis of FreedomWorks. Let's talk about your your uh, article at FreedomWorks.org where you've been covering Trump's appointee of the week, which I think is a really good segment because it highlights the policy initiatives and the policy successes of Trump which to your independent voter, you need to cut to the uh, cut to that heart. You got to cut through the Trump tweets, mean things. And I just can't stand his demeanor to say, yeah, but look at these people and look at these policies. If you can just ignore crazy grandpa for a minute and look what actually is getting done. So who is Andrew Wheeler and why is he this week's Trump appointee of the week? Yeah, Andrew Wheeler is the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA. And he gets the nod this time because he's got such a thankless job. And if there's anywhere that red tape needs to be cut in our government, it is at the EPA. The Obama administration picked the EPA to heights that it had never been at before and just went above and beyond. I think I mentioned in the article, over the eight years of the Obama administration, the EPA imposed $344 billion, with a B, in economic costs with regulations and promulgated 187 significant regulatory actions during just eight years. A free market EPA administrator coming in has his work cut out for him. And 100 of those regulations in Andrew Wheeler's two plus years at the EPA 
100 of those regulations have already been cut. Uh, he's doing incredible work. Uh, can't say enough about that because the Environmental Protection Agency under Obama essentially just became an infringement on property rights. The, the EPA has the right to dictate what you do on your land in the name of environmental protection. And it got so absurd and into the weeds that and we've talked about this before, that even puddles could be considered navigable waterways, and your mm. land is thus under the jurisdiction of the EPA. There's just so much there, and Andrew Wheeler's done a great job scaling it back. Hopefully, President Trump will get another crack at nominating an EPA administrator yeah. for the next four years so we can continue rolling the rest back, because there are billions of more dollars left to be cut. All right. I want you guys to go to freedomworks.org. I dropped the link in the chat room at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat so you can read it for yourself and and uh, and definitely see all the successes that Mr. Wheeler has done. Daniel, we're out of time. Unfortunately, the, the segment flies by so quick. Where can people follow you? Sure. Like you said, freedomworks.org to find all the articles. You can find video content from FreedomWorks on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash FreedomWorks slash videos. And you can find me on Twitter. It's my full name, Daniel Savickas. The last name is spelled S-A-V-I-C-K-A-S. All right. Looking. We will be on next week. So I do look forward to talking to you next week, Daniel. Yes, sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you so much. Daniel Savickas from FreedomWorks joining me as he does every Friday here in the Bear Brief. We're going to take a break. Coming up on the other side, we're going to talk about Twitter and the whole mess they're in here on the Bear Brief on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. simple creed if the answer is orange man bad did it then the question was asked by a free larson fanboy to the Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. Coming to you from the Republic of Texas, it's your humble host, Captain Middle America himself, Rick Bear, bringing you the news of the day and the narrative that'll follow. 844-527-8723, crusadechannel.com forward slash chat, C-H-A-T, username, password, email, and you will be good to go. The segment of the program is brought to you by the good people at StingerUSA.com, S-T-N-G-R-U-S-A.com, where I announced it yesterday on the brief, um, and I hope you guys were listening, because I know you are, that what we have now, or I was told and given the, uh, the permission to talk about it, is now... At StingerUSA.com, S-T-N-G-R-U-S-A.com, Axiom Red Dot sites are available at StingerUSA.com. This is, this is absolutely so cool. I love Red Dot sites. I know my gun guys out there love them as well. I know the guys in Airwolf would totally use Red Dot sites if they had them. 
So check them out at stingerusa.com. They're, they are uh, on the website at stingerusa.com. Check them out and use the promo code CRUSADE at checkout. The promo code CRUSADE for the Axiom Red Dot Sites that you can find at stingerusa.com. They're shockproof tested. They got a 50,000 hour battery life, which, you know, I'm not a big fan of optics because they could run out. Not these Axiom sites. Uh, they're fully multi-coated and a lifetime warranty. Once again, Axiom Red Dot sites available at stingerusa.com. Check them out. Use the promo code CRUSADE at checkout for an exclusive Crusader listener discount. StingerUSA.com, now the home of the Axiom Red Dot sites from StingerUSA.com. Check them out today. Do it now. Open up a second tab. I know you want to. I know you do. Be like the guys in Airwolf. Be awesome. All right, got breaking news here. Breaking news. The news that is breaking from, guess what, folks? This is a pretty good source. Breaking news. BNO News. Man beheaded on street near Paris. Suspect shot dead by police. So we have a man who was beheaded on a street near Paris. Suspect shot dead by police. I uh, wonder who, wonder what that one belonged. wonder what the, the suspect's religion is. Kind of weird, right? Yeah. All right, but that's the breaking news there. I talked to Daniel Savakis in the last segment of the program about this, and I have a story up at the Acting All Crusadery blog, which I hope you people are checking out every day. We got some great stories up there, as usual. Um, among, I don't know if I'm going to get to it, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you the headlines of the other three stories before I get to Twitter changing its guidelines following New York Post censorship controversy, which is located on the Acting All Crusadery blog. But if you've been listening to my show for a couple, for almost three years now, we're getting close to the three-year mark here, you know that for a while before Corona and everything just absolutely, you know, went went everywhere and just absolutely went to bed. I was talking about what? I was talking about Boeing and the 737 Max. I was all about it. All about the Boeing 737 Max. So guess what? I have an update and you can read up all, all about it at the Acting All Crusadery blog. Europe's aviation regulator has declared that the Boeing 737 is safe to fly again. This is a big deal. The FAA hasn't done it. Of course, the FAA has uh, has been exposed by Boeing as being in the back pocket of the Boeing Corporation and pretty much rubber stamped everything that Boeing did with the 737. The European Aviation uh, Administration did not have that same hang up. This is from CNBC News. Europe's aviation regulation has declared Boeing's 737 MAX aircraft safe to fly. You can read all about that at the Acting All Crusadery blog. We also have some data, a flash poll from yougov.org on what voters thought of the dueling presidential town halls. You can read all about that data yourself at the Acting All Crusadery blog at crusadechannel.com. And then finally... I'm gonna. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to do Gun Talk Friday at the end of the show because I got Ted Harvey coming up in the next segment. Um, the Hidden Loser, 
And the AMC Entertainment Collapse. Read all about it. It's from The Motley Fool. We have it at the Acting on Crusadery blog. Who is the hidden loser in the AMC Entertainment Collapse? Check it out at the Acting on Crusadery blog at crusadechannel.com. You hit that Crusader blog, bookmark it, and start your day with the Crusade with a cup of Crusade Cabbage and Dark Roast Coffee or a cup of coffee from the Abbey Roast Coffee Company. Coffee from the Crusade Channel, or no coffee in the cru- coffee from the Crusade Channel and the Acting All Crusadery blog. Two things that you should start each one of your mornings with. So, also from the Acting All Crusadery blog, I actually use this from the New York Post because it might as well go from there. Twitter has changed guidelines following post censorship controversy. Why did they do that? I think we have this clip ready to go. Um, after yesterday, we had senators saying they were going to subpoena Dorsey. We had uh, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy in the house saying section 230 needs to go. It needs to be completely destroyed. Well, he didn't say destroyed, but completely taken away. And then president Trump at his Greenville, North Carolina rally, which we covered here on the crusade channel. The crusade channel is the home of all of president Trump's rallies as we have the home stretch here. At his um, at his rally yesterday, President Trump called out social media and said what we all kind of wanted him to say in regards to getting rid of Section 230. Let's listen to him at his rally. And if big tech persists in coordination with the mainstream media, we must immediately strip them of their Section 230 protection. Okay, it's very simple. And a big tech... There you go. It's out there. So, Twitter, and I talked to Daniel Savakis about this, really stepped in it. Really did step in it. We had this tweet from Tom Cotton this morning, or out yesterday. There will be no quarter for censorship by big tech oligarchs. You have this uh, tweet from Josh Hawley. Pleased to announce the full Judiciary Committee will vote on subpoena, which they actually did. Um, Then he quote tweeted Jack a couple times and said, I'm going to talk to you under oath. So it doesn't. uh, He Actually, Josh Hawley tweeted an hour ago. Next week, when the Senate reconvenes, I will again go to the floor and try to pass big tech legislation ending their special immunity from suits for censorship. Republicans stand with me. Repeal section 230. And this comes from the fact that Twitter, after suppressing, successfully suppressing and crushing the the Hunter Biden story, despite the fact that it was already out there and 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 they Barbara Streisand effect it. The Barbara Streisand effect is there was a time when Somebody took a picture of Barbara Streisand's house back in the day and she demanded that they get rid of it. And so everybody bought the paper to see her picture or website. Either way, a Barbara Streisand effect is when you amplify something that wasn't a big deal in the first place. So Twitter and Facebook amplified the Hunter Biden story, but crushed any viral sharing of it. And they hid behind the hacking policy that said, oh, we don't want... We don't want uh, Twitter to be used as a place to disseminate hacked or illegally obtained information. 
even though everybody said, dude, you let the you let the steel dossier, you let Trump's tax returns, Don Jr.'s emails, um, many other things that were illegally obtained float all over Twitter with no repercussions. But something that was obtained legally because Hunter Biden left his his laptop at a repair shop. And then that became property of the the repair shop. Then they gave it to the FBI. There's nothing here that was hacked or obtained illegally. But that's what Twitter hid behind. Of course, now that the blowback has happened and both houses and the president have zeroed in on Section 230 of the Telecommunications Act, Aji Pai, who's the FCC chairman, has stated he's going to clarify what Section 230 is. Everybody's working on this. Okay? It, it went from, you know, Twitter, you really shouldn't do that. We might have to explore this to, all right, we're done. We're going after it. We are actually going to examine and look at ways to get Section 230 either repealed or significantly reduced as far as its protections. So Vija Gatti, I'm going to mispronounce her name because I don't care, who is the legal policy and trust and safety lead at Twitter who got smoked by Tim Pool at a Joe Rogan debate once. It's actually fantastic because Vijaya... Uh, has obviously a legal degree, and Tim Pool is a high school dropout, and he absolutely smoked her, um, which was pretty enjoyable to watch. But, so she said that they, well, they updated their terms, right? They updated their terms, and she started out by saying, over the last 24 hours, we've received significant feedback about how we enforced our hack material policy yesterday, after, I like how they, they write this, after reflecting on this feedback, we have decided to make changes to the policy and how we enforce it. She wrote, we believe that labeling tweets and empowering people to assess content for themselves better serves the public interest in public conversation. The hack material policy is being updated to reflect these new enforcement capabilities. And then Jack quote tweeted and said, straight blocking of URLs was wrong and we updated our policy and enforcement to fix it. Our goal is to attempt to add context, and how. And now we have the capabilities. In 24 hours, they were able to come up with these, uh, these capabilities. Right? They, they, they came up with these magic capabilities within 24 hours. And so, from the New York Post, after, with all that context... Twitter has changed its hacked material policy in the wake of social media giant's controversial decision to block reports from the post. Twitter will no longer remove allegedly quote-unquote hacked content unless it is shared by hackers themselves or by accomplices that will label questionable tweets rather than blocking them from being shared. And I just read that to you from Vijay Gatti. Uh, the company's Mia Culpa comes after it cited the 2018 guidelines, which were put in place after the WikiLeaks ordeal in 2016 that helped Trump win. Uh, the 2018 guidelines, when Twitter and Facebook took the unprecedented steps of blocking the New York Post report on Wednesday, sparking Internet outrage. Yeah, people were upset with the Post, but when they started blocking Jack Bruce, or banning Jack Bosebeck, 
and then Kaylee McEnany, that was really where they, they made the huge mistake of blocking uh, the, the press secretary to the United States for sharing a post or a story from a legitimate outlet. And that's when you started to see Cruz and McCarthy and President Trump. Everybody started mentioning what? Section 230. Section 230. Because the big deal, and the reason why Twitter and Facebook are allowed to be as they are, is because they identify as platforms. Right? We're a platform. You can post whatever you want, whatever videos, as long as you abide by the terms of service. But what Twitter did this week was act like a publisher. They were selecting who could be on the site and who couldn't, which is different from sign up and you can post whatever you want. We're not responsible because of Section 230. But once they start selectively editing and censoring different viewpoints, outlets, whatever, Then you become a publisher, and then you, your Section 230 protections are gone. So everybody's starting to talk about Section 230. Even Daniel Savakis from FreedomWorks last, last segment's like, I don't know how much longer you can defend, and I may be misquoting him, so you know, listen to the last segment. Uh, go to crusadechannel.com and you can listen to the last segment. I don't know how much longer you can defend these companies as they continue to push the envelope. And eventually they're going to push to a point where they're going to get pushed back on. Back into this article. Um, President Trump tweeted from Air Force One on Wednesday. So terrible that Facebook and Twitter took down the story of smoking guns email related to sleepy Joe Biden and his son Hunter in the New York Post. And then Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, called it sense, called the censorship decision unbelievable. And then I just read to you the backtrack by Jack Dorsey trying to say, no, 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 we've updated our policy. This is what they've been able to get away with. This is why they, they try to go as far as they can. Right? This is why they try to go as far as they can because they do it. They do it. And then they say, oh, it was an algorithm error, or we, we updated our policy. It won't ever happen again. And then the GOP goes, okay, but only because you updated your stuff. If you didn't update it, then we would come after you. And then Twitter and Facebook laugh at people as they continue to do it again. They continue to do it again. And then they say, oh, no, 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 we updated our policy. That was an old policy. We updated it. It's fine. It's fine. It won't happen again. Okay, well, don't do it again, or else we're going to come after you. And then they go back and laugh at people who, who take this. Who, who take these, and it's all GOP politicians. And so as we look at this time, where they're like, okay, we changed our policy. You got Senator Josh Hawley. That's great. I'm still going to put, I'm still bringing you to the Senate next week. And then you look at Kevin McCarthy, who's still pushing. Everybody's still pushing. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz just released a letter regarding Facebook. So he wrote a strongly worded letter. So I'm pretty sure the people at Twitter and Facebook are quivering 
right now because Ted Cruz has sent a strongly worded letter to the people of Facebook and Twitter because, you know, letters do so much. They're so amazing in that regard. But what we're seeing is maybe, possibly, the beginning of the walls, as a, as a leftist would say, the walls closing in. Closing in on these big tech companies. Because the argument of, well, you, you, you don't want to put restrictions on them because what happens if a Democrat comes in? If you don't, there will be a Democrat coming in. There, there will be one. So you got to put some kind of restrictions, some kind of clamps on it. And I agree. Somebody in the chat room at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. The Republicans are in on it too. I agree with that. I agree. Outside of guys like Holly and, and maybe a couple others, they're absolutely in on the grift. They can all send out letters. These are fundraising. Ted Cruz just sent out a fundraising letter. Right? He can use that to say, I fought against big tech censorship. I sent them a letter and I even sent it through the post office. But what you're seeing is this reactionary trend that Twitter and Facebook, it's either a policy or an algorithm or some kind of techno babble talk or legalese that is used to bamboozle whoever has a problem with Twitter and Facebook. And then they get away with it and then they skip down the street. Yeah, and they're going to do it again because Twitter and Facebook have so much power in how discourse takes place in America that people don't realize that if the, the hammer does come down on them and Section 230 protections are revolt, re, rolled back, that it won't be the same. And how many people are willing to take that kind of change? I don't know. But we'll see. Twitter is just CYA themselves. I'm sure, um, I'm sure Twitter and Facebook are shaking in their boots, even though they've done the necessary, at least in what has worked for them in the past, the necessary um, cya to get themselves through this. All right. That's it. Oh, wait, we got some breaking news. I, follow, uh, I started this segment talking about the man who was beheaded in Paris. Uh, yeah, breaking news. They're investigating it as terrorism. I know, I know. Big shock. Yeah, that's, that's something that we didn't know would happen. But yes, they are investigating it as terrorism. In Paris, there was a beheading. And so, yeah, breaking news here. All right, that's it for this segment of The Bear Brief. Coming up next, uh, Ted Harvey is going to join me on the program, and then we'll do gun talk after that. You're listening to The Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel. Last live radio station standing. In a bubble and you haven't got a chance. Well, you're gonna be in trouble cause you're gonna steal your ass. Cause what you got is what we need and all we need is dirty deeds. We're the baseballs. Watch out, we're the baseballs. We're the masters of space. Don't mess around with the space balls. 
Welcome back to the final hour of the Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel. Starting off this final hour on the Bear Brief on the Crusade Channel. Last live radio station standing. Coming to you from the Republic of Texas on this October 16th. It is your humble host, Captain Middle America himself, Rick Bear, bringing you the news of the day and the narrative that'll follow. 844-527-8723. CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. Because it's Friday, it's the top of the third hour, so the Hulk Hogan gifts are starting to come out pretty fast and furious in the chat room, so go check them out. Uh, I do want to take this time to welcome Mr. Ted Harvey to the program. He's been gracious enough to give us some time during what is most likely a very busy time of year with 18 days to go to the election. I'm sure Mr. Harvey is working very hard at the committee to defend the president. Dot com, and I want to thank him once again for taking some time. Mr. Harvey, thank you for joining me here on the Bear Brief on the Crusade Channel. How are you, sir? I am great. Thank you for having me on. It is an interesting time to be living, isn't it? Uh, may you be blessed to live in interesting times. Isn't that how the saying goes? Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was a joke when they said it, because whoever quotes it now, it's like, no. Uh, but... First off, we had the dueling town halls last night. I was that I was very critical of the president going in. I didn't like him going into enemy territory, which is legacy media outlets. They always seem he even said it at the rally in North Carolina. It's a setup. I'm walking into one. I was actually uh, I'm not surprised at the president's performance, but I was very uh, pleased at the way he took a very rabid. Uh, aggressive Savannah Gunthry and showed a completely different side than the first debate, which I think was very big for those who hammered him for being out of control or whatever the case may be at the first debate. Very, almost, I don't want to say softer, but a much more reserved side, great interaction with the voters and did not fall for the 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 bait that Savannah was trying to get him, trying to trying to almost get a re-performance of the first debate. What did what were your takeaways from last night? I, I think that's exactly right. That he he was showing his human side with the uh, with the questioners, not the not the moderator. I think the moderator embarrassed herself. I think Trump um, was able to highlight what a bias leftist she was and I think that came across more than anything about it it just showed how the media will not even treat him professionally as the president of the United States it's all going to be gotcha 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 and I think the American people saw that you know on display that the media is going to do nothing to try to talk about the truth it's just going to be gotcha questions and I, I was talking with some friends of mine earlier today and we need to stop using the word the name Karen as a pejorative and we need to start using the name Savannah as a pejorative. Yep. Um, whenever we see somebody um, whining and complaining about um, stuff, we just say, Oh, come on, Savannah, because that's essentially the um, caricature that she made of herself last night. Yeah, she got forty three questions in. I, I found this. Forty three questions versus ten in the quote unquote town hall so it it was absolutely ridiculous because as i said i don't like these they uh usually the town hall questioners are very partisan you can see right through it it's almost as if they're grabbing questions from the producer i actually thought the interaction 
between President Trump and those the the ten people that were able to get a a question in was was very human, very natural, something you would never see at a Biden town hall. Uh, the the very the way even the ones that were supposedly leaning Democrat, he didn't give them any. He he wasn't mean. He didn't sh- throw any snappy comments. One even complimented his smile, uh, which was a very nice moment for him, and. That's where he shines. And I think that's why they told Savannah to just go hard and take away those moments. Because every time President Trump, it doesn't matter if it's at a rally or if it's at one of these things, it really shows that he's, as he said in his his uh, speech yesterday, he's not a politician. He really does want to work for the American people. He's not like Biden, who is just trying to get the next, his ultimate goal, which is being president, so he can have that on his check mark. Uh, but that's what he needs to continue to do. And that's why COVID was so damaging for a while, even though that seems to be kind of going away. Um, so, first of all, the interaction we talked about very briefly, very good. And I haven't talked to you since President Trump uh, went through his COVID uh, ordeal. So just two questions. First of all, um, his interaction with the, the qu- all 10 people that got to ask a question. Thoughts on that. And then if you want to give us uh, your your assessment of the whole COVID situation with President Trump from the diagnoses to how he handled it to the coming out on the other side and how that is uh, being shown as an example to the American people. Well, I think what the president has shown, and and he's not just shown it as president, he's shown in his entire professional life, is that whenever there is a negative thing that happens in his world, he is going to fight through it with positivity. And he's done that the first outbreak of the coronavirus back in January, and he has tried to put as good a faith on this horrible situation that he possibly can and and say that this administration is going to get through this, this country is going to get through this, and we will be better off um, than all the other countries in the world when when it's all done and said with. And I think that having somebody at at the reins of government leading our country with that kind of attitude is what you have to have. And I think when the, when the naysayers were saying we were going to lose two, two million plus to this virus and, and it was going to be horrific, the president came out and said, we are going to do everything we can to stop this. We are going to stop flights from Europe. We're going to stop flights from China. We're going to get ventilators out. We're going to work hard to, to um, help every in every city that needs help, and he has done that. I mean, the, Vice President Pence and, and the administration have done an incredible job to where it went from 2 million to now it's just a few, over 200,000, and I'm not even sure I would agree with those numbers. I actually don't agree with those numbers. Um, but it, I think what you saw him do that with that as president and what you saw him do with his own sickness and his family's sickness um, He's a 74-year-old man. Coronavirus, when, when elderly folks get it, is, um, has, has the potential to be um, concerning. And the president is the strongest 74-year-old man I've ever seen. He can run laps around most uh, 50-year-olds 
He can run laps around me. He can run laps around me. That's how much energy that guy has. He's incredible the way he goes from state to state to state and and goes to these rallies and speaks for three hours. And, and, uh, I mean, the guy is unbelievable. And he looked coronavirus in the face and said, nah, I'm not going to deal with this, and and plowed right through it. And I think that speaks volumes to um, who he is as an individual, and he came out the other side and said, all right, let's get back to work, and let's, let's win this race. And I think, I think that's emblematic of him as an individual, but also him as the president and as a candidate going into November. You're listening, folks, to Ted Harvey. He's the chairman of the Committee to Defend the President.com, a, a pact out there to, to help um, push back against narratives and, and nonsense that the legacy media is, is creating and trying to make more mainstream. He's joining me here on the Barrett Brief on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. So what is the Committee to Defend the President doing now? What's the latest thing they're doing, especially within striking distance of Election Day? What is the final plan for you guys as far as helping, uh, you know, carry help the president carry this through to the home stretch? Sure. Well, as you were saying, our whole effort for the last four years, Mr. Harvey, we were getting to the good stuff, too. Mr. Harvey? The last four years, okay. we're going to become the largest pro-Trump pack out there because of our efforts to do this. And right now, we are focusing on Arizona. We, we, there are a lot of swing states to be involved in, but we have the fourth state. Not only did Trump win it last time by just a couple 10,000 votes, that... Um, we have to make sure that he wins this time. McSally, who uh, who filled a vacancy. So if she loses, that seat will become immediately available um, and filled right after the election. So we are put, we are put. I think uh, Mr. Harvey's on. A, uh, Mr. Harvey, I don't. I don't mean to be. Uh, we're catching you in and out. Is there any way you could call back to get a reestablish your signal? Because you're you're we're missing a lot of this stuff, and we really want to hear it. If you don't oh, mind. I'm sorry. I am. Not, it says I have a full bar, but I am out <laughs> in Nebraska. So I will call you right back. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So we're uh, we're talking to Ted Harvey and, and everybody's all over the place in these last couple of weeks. Um, so he's, if he's anything like me, when I was driving on the road, I would have four bars and then all of a sudden it would just be like, and your service is gone. So uh, hopefully Ted, uh, Mr. Harvey will call right back and he can kind of give us that that summary of why he's working in Arizona, why he picked Arizona, because there's a lot of states on the board that you could pick as a quote-unquote swing state to focus your efforts in. And, of course, Arizona has become a swing state due to Californians, just like how Texas has become a little bit more and more purple because of of all of the uh, the transplants, if you will, coming back and forth to here. So it's, it's interesting that he selected and that the Committee to Defend the President has decided to select Arizona as a as the place they really want to target insofar as all of their spending. Because they are one of the largest packs in the president's corner outside of 
any of the, the president's own efforts. So it, it's interesting. and I, I would like to hear what he has to say as why they're targeting Arizona for for that swing state effort, because you could say Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Um, I keep saying nobody else is on board with me on this one. Not not a shock because nobody usually does come in with me. I think that Minnesota, Minnesota, I think Minnesota might be in play. I think it might be in play. I think uh, the people in that state uh, depends on the leadership there and what goes on. But um, I think Minnesota is is a state to watch out for. Uh, a caller this morning, uh, Dan in Florida, I believe his name is, uh, said um, that uh, New Mexico is too. But it looks like Mr. Harvey is back with us. Um, Mr. Harvey, who is the chairman of the Committee to Defend the President, you were explaining why you were targeting the state of Arizona, if you want to continue with that, please. Yeah, I am sorry. I'm driving in the middle of Nebraska. so ho- I pulled off the side of the road, so hopefully I don't lose you. Can you hear we're me okay? All- we're all every. We can hear you great. It's the it's the last couple of weeks of the election. We're all over the place, so it's it's understandable, <laughs> sir. So please continue. I appreciate it. Yes, we are focusing on Arizona because that's a state that we have to win. Trump won it last time by I think twenty thousand votes, and we are not going to allow the Democrats to take any ground. And so we're putting all of our efforts into that state. It's an important state for the U.S. Senate as well, with Senator McSally being up for re-election. So we're running some some pretty hard-hitting ads in those commercials pointing out the fact that these riots that are taking place on the streets of America are are in Democrat cities with Democrat mayors and Democrat states with Democrat governors who have all endorsed Joe Biden. And if he's not going to take a stand right now against Antifa and against these radicals that are burning down our cities um, when he's running for president, um, what what does that say about what he's going to do when he's president of the United States? He, the Democrat Party has been taken over by the radical left, and we cannot afford to have mob rule. That's why Donald Trump is winning the suburban moms, because they are concerned about what's going on. They want to have the rule of law. They want to have a president that's going to be firm and, and, put, not, and, and knocking down these kind of radicals. And um, we are reminding the voters of that in Arizona. Excellent, excellent. So as I've been saying, folks, the, the website is the committee to defend the president.com. What are some other ways that they can follow and support your efforts in these uh, crucial final weeks, Mr. Harvey? Well, I appreciate it. They can certainly go to our website, committee to defend the president.com. Um, you can see the commercials that we're running and hit that donation button to keep us on the air in these critical last couple of weeks to make sure that these hard hitting ads are seen. We can go to our Facebook page, like us there, and uh, follow us on our YouTube as well and see all these commercials. I want to say one quick thing. When I was coming back on, I heard you talking about New Mexico. That's a, that's a state that the president lost last time. I don't know the last time a Republican won. And uh, the, re- the president had a rally down there last year, and 40% of the people who showed up at that rally were registered Democrats. And 34 mm-hmm. percent of them were Hispanic. I think the president's going to win New Mexico, and it's going to shock the state when a Republican wins New Mexico. There's a couple states that are out there. I, I keep thinking Minnesota is one because the, yep. all the areas outside of, of Minneapolis 
our our traditionally blue counties that have flipped this time. Say so we're going to go for Trump this time. So Minneapolis is mine. I kept I've been saying that. Watch out for that one. Somebody this morning said New Mexico. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. The states that went blue last time that are going to flip red to the shock of everybody because national polls are saying Biden's up by like 77,000 points. And we all know that when you look at enthusiasm gaps, it's just not oh there. Goodness. So That's it's exactly great that we right. have uh, we have organizations like you, Mr. Harvey, and I really do appreciate you taking some time uh, to talk to us. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on before the, the election actually takes place on November 3rd. Definitely. I would love to. Thanks All for right. having me on. Sorry I got disconnected there for a second. No problem. No problem. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless, sir. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Come back on the other side. We're going to do some gun talk because it's Friday and we go and do some gun talk. And then we'll do the world famous You've Got to Be Kidding Me and our Virtue of the Week here in the Bear Brief on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. October 16, 1859. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. An incident that brings America closer to civil war. Abolitionist John Brown leads a raid on a federal arsenal in Harper's Ferry in what's now West Virginia, hoping to spark a slave revolt. Brown later surrenders and is executed. 1793. During the French Revolution, Queen Marie Antoinette, who is said to have told France's starving people, let them eat cake, is beheaded. 1978. The Roman Catholic Church chooses its first non-Italian pope in more than 450 years. He is Polish Cardinal Karol Wojtyła, who takes the name of John Paul II. 1973. American Henry Kissinger and North Vietnam's late Duc Tho are awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. They are honored for negotiating a ceasefire in the Vietnam War. But Lay declines the award, saying he can't accept it because the Vietnamese don't have peace. 1998. In London, British police arrest Chile's former dictator Augusto Pinochet. They detain him for questioning about the allegations that he had murdered Spanish citizens during his years in power. Pinochet eventually returns to Chile, but he faces investigations and court cases there until he dies eight years later. 1916. Margaret Sanger opens the first birth control clinic in Brooklyn, New York. She is later arrested and serves 30 days in jail after police raid the clinic. 1987. End of a 58-and-a-half-hour drama in Midland, Texas. That's where rescuers free Jessica McClure, an 18-month-old girl trapped in an abandoned well. And 1997. Novelist James Michener, whose South Pacific tales inspired a Broadway musical, dies in Austin, Texas. Today in History, October 16th. Tim McGuire, The Associated Press. All right. Welcome back to the Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. 
Coming to you from the Republic of Texas on this October 16, 2020. It is your humble host, Captain Middle America, Zofric Barrett, bringing you the news of the day and the narrative that'll follow. 844-527-8723, crusadechannel.com, forward slash chat, C-H-A-T, username, password, and email, and you are good to go. So check it out, crusadechannel.com, forward slash chat. All right, um, let's see here. This segment of the program is brought to you by Bulldog Kia at BulldogKia.com. We'll see you at Bulldog Kia, located in Athens, Georgia. Bulldog Kia has been a day one supporter of the crusade. And just like McClure Tables and Stinger USA, we are proud to do business with men and women of goodwill. And the people, Dave Kernal and his amazing staff at Bulldog Kia, will give you first-rate service, and they'll even deliver the vehicle to you if you don't live in Georgia. They have the VIP delivery. They'll send you all the paperwork, either with somebody or remotely, deliver the car to you, no haggle pricing. It's just some of the services they will provide. Check them out, bulldogkia.com. We'll see you at Bulldog Kia. All right, so I'm glad Ted called in. I'm more than happy to have Ted uh, Harvey call in and talk to him. And uh, so that means Gun Talk Friday is going to be a little abbreviated, but that's okay because uh, we got some time. And boy, oh boy, did Joe Biden give us something to talk about on Gun Talk Friday. Um, This was from last night's quote-unquote town hall with Joe Biden, who was giving... This is the same Joe Biden that said, go get a shotgun, which I did. I got a 10-round semi-automatic shotgun, Joe. So thanks for that advice. Um, but somebody was talking to him about police shootings and this is Joe's fantastic, uh, advice that he answered to a woman, uh, on how cops should deal with, uh, um, dangerous suspects instead of shooting them. Listen to good old Joe talk to you about what he should, what you should do if a violent offender comes charging at you. So instead of anybody coming at you, the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot them in the leg. There's ways you have to do more background checks in terms of whether or not the person coming in passes certain psychological tests. So instead of shooting them in the leg, I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry, Joe. I am not John Wick. All right. I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty decent with my firearms, but I guarantee you that. If I'm trying to shoot a dude's leg, I'm going to be wasting ammo. There's a reason when you are taught to shoot that you shoot center mass. It's because it's the center and it's the best chance of hitting something. Also, when you train, part of your training as somebody with a concealed carry at least, is you know, you're not using the gun Unless you absolutely have to kill. Right? Because the the, uh, the the seriousness of that weapon dictates that you don't use it. Unless you, uh, you absolutely have to. If you are unholstering your weapon and presenting it, you're not like, I'm going to get you in the ankle. Pew, pew, pew. No. If you have to take your firearm out, and present it, you're shooting center mass because your life is about to be taken. 
shoot him in the leg. I'm glad Joe Biden gets all his his tactical experience from Westerns. You know how thin the leg is? Even on the fattest person, and it's moving around all over the place. Also, as somebody, when you start um, shooting your gun as a private citizen, you're responsible for every bullet that leaves that firearm. And so if you're shooting at the leg and you miss and that bullet continues flying and it hits some poor innocent bystander, guess who's responsible? You. You're responsible for it. So any any police officer, any tactical instructor is going to say you're not shooting to kill to to maim. You never shoot to maim. You shoot and if you have to pull out that firearm, you are shooting to unfortunately take life. And nobody's happy about that. Nobody wants to talk about uh, taking life. And, and nobody outside of your idiots, which there are, ah, pew, 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 like they're going to be John Wick or Rambo or any of these people. Nobody wants to be in the situation. I've never talked to somebody who is a responsible firearm owner who is excited to shoot somebody. That's a that's a red flag if somebody's like, oh yeah, man, I'm a... Nah, dude, you don't want to do that. You don't want to take somebody's life. You're going to have to carry that the rest of your life. That doesn't mean you don't... You deprive yourself of the option to defend you, you and your loved ones. But you you don't want to be excited for that. So proper training dictates military, civilian, whoever, because you're responsible for the, the bullets that leave that chamber. You shoot and you shoot to hit. And that's not that's why they don't take um that's why headshots, despite what the walking dead shows you. When we used to watch, everybody can hit a headshot in The Walking Dead, right? Jumping with two guns in the air, knocking out five people with headshots. Headshots are hard too, man. Especially if you're standing and you're trying to engage or you're moving and your hands are shaking. I'm pretty adept with firearms, right? I'm pretty, I'm comfortable around them. I can point, present, take my time, build the, take up slack, find the wall, push through. I do all that stuff, but if I ever have the misfortune of pointing my firearm at another human being, I will have so much adrenaline rushing through me, my hands will be shaking, and I'm not going to be like, okay, where's your kneecap, freeze. No, it's such a, it's such a fantasy land concept. That you're going to be like shooting some guy as you're jumping through his calf. Or the bullet's going to curve and hit him in the calf and it's going to incapacitate him. You've, if you've been in, I've seen videos from police encounters where I've seen them empty a magazine into a guy charging at them and it barely slows him down. And that solid hit center mass. Depending on what the person who is attacking you is, is, uh, on if they're drunk or high or on PCP or any of these other things or if they're just having adrenaline rush through them this idea 
that one bullet, yeah, sometimes, um, like with Kyle Rittenhouse, one bullet was able to incapacitate uh, multiple people. But he was using a much larger caliber, using a 5.56 round, uh, point blank range. Unlike somebody who's charging at you, you're not going to be able to, to, to get a good line of sight on it or line up your sights. But this is what our great glorious leaders are telling us. Shoot him in the leg. I'm sorry, this is not paintball. This isn't airsoft. Or laser tag. Your life is threatened. And the last thing that I want to do with my life being threatened is take a chance on, I don't know, maybe hitting them in the kneecap or maybe hitting them in the shoulder. That's always one, too. Shoot them in the shoulder. Uh, yeah, that's not going to incapacitate anybody. So... Thank you, Joe Biden. And he's supposed to be one of the uh, the more, what, open or one of the more experienced talking about firearms. Just just such terrible advice. And these are the people we're dealing with. These are the people that are in charge of gun laws. They're going to expect you. Why did you have to shoot him center mass? Because I actually wanted to hit my target. Unbelievable, unbelievably foolish things that are being said. But then again, the fact that Joe Biden, you notice I was like, shoot him in the the leg and then get background checks. Oh, you want me to background check the guy I just shot? Excuse me, sir, will you fill out this 4473? Oh, my goodness. Foolish stuff on Gun Talk Friday. But by the way, StingerUSA.com now has red dot sites from Axios. Check them out. StingerUSA.com. Use the promo code CRUSADE. These red dot sites are rad. I love them. They're pretty awesome. They're actually the only sites I use that are... I use iron sights. I like using iron sights because of the age-old thing. I don't like to rely on batteries or any of these other kinds of things because they'll go out at the worst time, so I train on irons. Uh, but the Axios red dot sites, the battery life on them is insane. And I would trust my life to those, the, the ones from stingerusa.com. I'd put them on my, I'd put them on my Air 15 or my shotgun or anything. Because I think they're pretty awesome. That's the only one. Some of these guys have like ridiculous uh, electronic scopes. They, they live, people are posting RoboCop memes in the chat room at crusadechannel.com. They're like mini RoboCops, these, you know... Some of the the tactical red dot sites. Not me, man. Red dot site or nothing. I'm good to go. All right. So there you go. That's Gun Talk Friday. A little abbreviated, but that's because we had we were lucky to get Mr. Harvey on from the Committee to Defend the President. Uh, so we had to shore it up a little bit. But let's talk about gratitude. First Corinthians four seven asks for who makes you different from anyone else. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And yesterday we focused in, really, we zeroed in on the idea that is not promoted in American society. And that's just being thankful. This idea within gratefulness or gratitude that you're thankful for something. Because too often, 
in America. It's always I'm not I'm not really happy with what I have. What can I get next? What's the next product I can consume? Next car I can drive, next house I can live in. New clothes, new guns, right? Let's not let's not keep those out of the conversation. Sometimes it's like, oh, I have this gun. Look at this new shiny one. Ooh. We have the ADD. When you have ADD, you can't be grateful. You can't slow down to be thankful. Watch out, because I'm about to get pretty deep here. What about your your marriage, men? Are you grateful for your wife? Are you acting in a way that she would be grateful for you? That's now we're getting now we're getting into the 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 thick of things. I'll be honest. There are times I know I need to do better. And there are times, and I'm constantly, constantly thankful for my wife. If you've met her and you've seen her, you would realize why. <laughs> you would realize why I am. Um, but it, and it, and I've talked about this a couple times. One of the things that we have here in modernity that we have we suffer with is this penchant for taking advantage of. Right, where we don't take advantage, we take advantage of the fact that oh, our wife will be there, or you know, yeah, this or that. We we take advantage of the fact that oh, she's my wife, she'll be there. And I think one way to make sure that does not happen is to be thankful, grateful that you are married, because look at. Let me tell you this, gentlemen. Look at the dating scene today. All right? Look at the dating scene today. And then you will realize why you should be thankful for your wife. One of the other reasons why I'm thankful for my wife. Because I'm pretty sure that uh, if I ever had to go back onto the dating scene, I would probably just become a hermit. I've told my wife that many times. I said, if anything ever happened, I would just go into the mountains. I'd probably go into New Hampshire somewhere near Schaefer and bug him. <laughs> or uh, I would probably go to New Hampshire and probably just... Because I would not take a chance going onto the dating market. It is. It just seems awful. Awful. So that's one way I'm grateful for my wife. And... Let's just look at it this way. Let's focus on men. In you, if you are married, your commitment to your wife. Are you grateful for the things that she does for you? Are you grateful for her companionship? Oh, rich stuff sounds all this. Being a real man, being a good husband, being a good father, being a good leader is to not take advantage. To not take advantage. Of your wife to just say, well, we're married. You're going to be here. And making sure that you and I'm not talking about, you know, holding up a boombox outside the house to being grateful and all the nonsense. But just be thankful that you are lucky to be married to your wife. If you have kids, be grateful for them. A lot of people are lonely. A lot of people don't have these things. 
And just to take stock of what you have in life, what you've been blessed with. It's a nice, nice way to check what you're, especially when you're feeling prideful or angry or frustrated. It's a nice way to re, uh, reevaluate your situations. Gratitude is a very interesting one that seems, that is not talked about because it's counter, it counters everything we deal with in society as Americans. To not be grateful. It's a good way to keep yourself focused on the things that, uh, that are important. All right, it's time for the world famous You've Got to Be Kidding Me, where I drudge the depths of the internet to find stories that are so ridiculous. They'll have you saying, you've got to be kidding me. I guess I did run. Did I run? I think I did run Ben Hooper. Oh, no, he's still here. Woo! All right, the last... Different story, though. This is from Summer Brokaw as well. I was actually scared there for a minute. From UPI's Summer Brokaw, 2,350-pound pumpkin named the Tiger King wins contest. A 2,350-pound pumpkin named the Tiger King has been named the winning pumpkin in a competition. Travis Glinner of Minnesota, who grew the pumpkin, told CNN he felt honored to win after decade after he decided to enter the contest in Northern Carolina, Carol, oh my gosh, Northern California, since it's known as the Super Bowl of Pumpkins. He took home $16,450 in winnings for first prize in the pumpkin growing competition, or $7 per pound. Probably got taxed half of that because it's in California. It was kind of funny deciding to name this Name for this little, little pumpkin at the time. I noticed that it might be orange and white striped. Uh, let's see. The current world record for a pumpkin is 2,624 pounds. Um, that was set in Belgium. The next thing, now they have to decide how many pies they have to make out of it. Seriously, you've got to be kidding me. All right, folks. Tonight, tonight's creature feature is the giant behemoth where a marine atomic test causes changes in the ocean's ecosystem, resulting in a dangerous dangerous blobs of radiation and the resurrection of a dormant dinosaur that threatens London. Tonight, the giant behemoth. We also have a brand new breakdown with Aaron Barker coming up next and great programming here on the Crusade Channel, which you have been listening to the Bear Brief here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing, coming to you from the Republic of Texas. It's your humble host, Captain Middle America, Suffolk Barrett, now, always and forever, Viva Cristo Rey!